0: Section seventy-two of Mysteries of London, Volume Four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mysteries of London, Volume Four by George W. M. Reynolds. Conclusion of the History of the Haunted Houses, Part Two the fatal moment arrived when the gallant british soldier stripped naked to the waist was tied up to receive the torture of the lash in the presence of the entire regiment which was marshaled for the purpose leonard's face was ashy pale but the compressed lip sternly fixed eye and determined expression of countenance indicated his resolution to meet the horrible punishment with as much courage as he could invoke to his aid on many an eyelash in the ranks did the tear of sympathy eye of deep deep commiseration tremble but the officers looked on the elder ones without emotion the younger with curiosity but with no better feeling as for cornet lord Satinet, he could scarcely conceal his delight at the inhuman spectacle which he himself had caused to be enacted and he thought what a lion of the party he should prove in the evening at his father's house when detailing to his noble mamma and his dear sisters the particulars of the military flogging of the morning but hark the drums beat and the accursed torture commences the first blow is inflicted and nine long livid marks appear upon the back of the victim still he winces not and not a murmur escapes his lips again does the lash fall and of a livelier red are the traces it leaves behind a third time the instrument of torture descends and now blood is drawn but still the young man is silent although his well-knit frame moves with a slight convulsiveness a shudder passing throughout the long ranks like an electric shock from flank to flank denotes the horror the profound intense horror which strikes to the hearts of the brave dragoons who behold the appalling laceration of their comrade and now faster falls each murderous weapon for there are two executioners employed at the same time and when they have dealt a certain number of blows they are relieved by others so that the victim may gain nothing by the slightest weariness of arm on the part of his torturers still he maintains a profound silence but he cannot prevent his countenance from expressing a keen sense of the mortal agony that he endures down down comes the horrible weapon each stroke inflicting nine distinct blows and while the blood streams forth in many crimson rivulets the knotted cords carry away pieces of the palpitating flesh oh that such infernal cruelty should be perpetrated in a country vaunted as the chosen land of freedom and peopled by beings who boast their humanity oh that such a bloodthirsty torture should be sanctioned by the laws of a nation paying upwards of ten millions a year for the maintenance of the ministers of christ gracious god do thy thunder sleep when a creature fashioned after thine own image is thus enduring the torments of the damned torments inflicted not in a paroxysm of rage and by the hand of a savage individual vengeance but in cold blood in unprovoked mercilessness and under color of a sanguinary law which would disgrace a community of savages people of england let us blush let us hang down our heads for very shame when we reflect that such appalling scenes are enacted amongst us or rather let us gnash our teeth with rage and tear our hair and beat our breasts to think that we are unable to compel our legislators to receive even a scintillation of that humane spirit which animates ourselves for we have a society to prevent cruelty to animals and the man who beats his ox or his ass too severely is punished and if a poor man only happens to jostle against a police officer it is construed into a savage assault and attended with penalties but there is no society to prevent cruelty to human beings and the lash the accursed lash may be used until the blood flows down the back the skin is flayed away deep wails are made in the quivering form morsels of palpitating flesh are torn off and the muscles are laid bare oh all this may be done all these revolting atrocities may be perpetrated all these hellish cruelties may be accomplished and there is no association patronized by royal highnesses bishops and noble lords to interfere in behalf of the victims nor to punish the offenders leonard mitchell bore his murderous punishment as bravely as man could endure such fiendish torture a hundred and fifty lashes had been inflicted without eliciting a moan from his lips but his countenance betrayed all the intensity of the anguish which he suffered his eyes lost their lustre his under jaw fell slightly there was foam upon his mouth and his tongue protruded somewhat as for his back but perdition seize upon the blood hounds! the indignation which we feel at this moment will not allow us to extend that portion of the painful description better oh better far to be the vilest beggar that ever grovelled in the mire than one of those green acres of the house of commons who advocate corporal punishment or those barkers of colonels who delight in having it inflicted as for poor leonard mitchell he received upwards of two hundred lashes without a murmur and then the surgeon ordered a pause drink was given to him and he revived but was he then removed oh no no the feast of blood was not accomplished the cup of gore was not full enough the sum of human tortures was not finished again fell the accursed weapon and now we know not whether it were that after a brief cessation the agony of the renewal was more intense than before or that the interval of rest had allowed the fine spirit of the man to flag whatever were the cause it is nevertheless a fact that a piercing shriek of anguish burst from his lips a shriek so strange so wild and so unnatural that long long after did it ring in the ears of those who heard it for it seemed to lacerate the very brain as in its horrible inflections the rending sound was sent back from the barrack walls in penetrating echoes and frightful reverberations a thrill of horror electrified the startled ranks of the victim's comrades and the gloved hand of many a brave soldier was drawn rapidly across the countenance to dash away the tears that trembled on the quivering eyelids for oh the british warrior may indeed well weep at such a scene weep weep with mingled shame and sorrow weep too with bitterness and indignation the punishment was over soon as that piercing scream had died away the prisoner fainted and he was forthwith hurried to the infirmary where many hours elapsed ere he came to his senses then he awoke to consciousness amidst the most horrible tortures for the means that were adopted to prevent his lacerated back from mortifying inflicted the agonies of hell only fancy christian reader a man in this country can be beaten into such a state that it is ten to one whether he will not die of his wounds and all the surgeon's art can with difficulty resuscitate him but pass we over the lingering illness endured by the unhappy leonard an illness of eight long weeks and let us see whether the tortures of the lash have made him a better man alas far from it his fine spirit was broken he saw that it was useless to endeavour to be good that it was ridiculous to practise virtues which experienced no reward his religious faith was shaken nay almost completely destroyed and he no longer believed in the efficacy of prayer instead of harbouring feelings of a generous philanthropy he began to loathe and detest his superiors and look with suspicion on his equals a doggedness of disposition a recklessness of character a species of indifference as to what might become of him displaced all those fine qualities and noble attributes that had previously graced him for he felt that he was a marked man in his regiment and never could hope for promotion that his character was gone and that like cain he bore about him the brand of indelible infamy moreover he longed for vengeance bitter bitter vengeance upon that young scion of the aristocracy who had lied against him lied foully as only such a wretch could lie and who had brought down all that disgrace on his devoted head in such a frame of mind was it that leonard mitchell met ellen for the first time after a separation of nearly ten weeks the young lady had learnt the misfortunes which had befallen her lover and she was prepared by an intimate knowledge of his character to hear that he had been accused as unjustly as he had been punished savagely she endeavoured to console him but he assured her broadly and frankly that the only solace he could ever know was vengeance ellen did not discourage this idea did not rebuke this craving for she also felt bitterly bitterly against the despicable lordling who had persecuted him so foully it was nevertheless with sorrow that she soon observed the alteration which had taken place in his disposition he was still devoted to her but his passion now partook rather of a gross sensuality than of the refinement of love how could it be otherwise the best feelings of the man were blunted and his brute impulses unchecked by that delicacy of sentiment which had once so peculiarly characterized him became the more violent especially did he soon manifest a loving for intoxicating liquors and at the third or fourth interview with ellen after his release from the hospital he suffered her to understand pretty plainly that he could no longer refuse pecuniary assistance at her hands in the course of a few weeks he spoke out more plainly still and unblushingly asked for the amount he required at the time and ere many months had passed away he never parted from her without receiving a portion of the contents of her purse at first she herself was much shocked at this evidence of an altered disposition but she was so deeply so devotedly attached to him that she reasoned herself into consolation even on that head and the more selfish she became the more anxious did she appear to minister to his wants this was not all for frequent intoxication irritated his temper and he did not hesitate to vent his ill-humour upon her sometimes too he failed to keep his appointments with her and when they did meet at last he abused her if she dared to reproach him on one occasion he actually raised his hand to strike her but the poor loving creature falling on her knees at his feet turned up towards him a countenance so tearful and woe begone that the coward blow was stayed and he implored her pardon nevertheless she had received a shock which she could not forget neither could she avoid contrasting the leonard Mitchell whom military punishment had degraded to the same level as the brutes with the leonard mitchell who formerly appeared the very type of a gallant generous-hearted and high-minded british dragoon but leonard mitchell must not be blamed if his manners and habits were thus changed and if he took inveterately to drinking he was one of those whom bad laws had forced into evil courses and if he flew to the intoxicating glass it was because the alcoholic liquor contained the hours of oblivion persecuted as he had been degraded as he felt himself existence had become intolerable unless he lost the consciousness of at least a portion of it his comrades noticed the alteration which had taken place in him and they well understood the cause, for it had been the same with every one who had ever undergone the torture and the disgrace of the lash in his sober hours leonard experienced no remorse no compunction for the ways which he was pursuing he had grown dogged morose indifferent no not altogether indifferent for he cherished dearly deeply cherished a scheme of vengeance and the day and the hour for carrying it into execution arrived at last it was indeed on the anniversary of the memorable morning of his degrading punishment that a grand review took place in hyde park certain german pauper princes were on a visit to this country princes who received annual incomes from the english treasury heaven only knows for what services performed and whose very travelling expenses to and from the court of st james's were duly paid from the public purse for those contemptible petty sovereigns of germany are as mean as they are poor and as proud as they are both mean and poor well it was on the occasion of the presence of two or three of those princely beggars in the british metropolis that the grand review took place all the troops quartered in or near london were marched shortly after ten o'clock in the morning to hyde park and as the day was remarkably fine the spectacle was brilliant and imposing the duke of wellington the german princes and several general officers attended by a numerous staff shortly afterwards appeared upon the ground and the road was thronged with spectators the review commenced in the usual manner the entire force infantry and cavalry was drawn up to receive the duke the princes, and their companions and after the inspection and the marching past, various evolutions and manoeuvres were practised a sham fight was then ordered and the troops were accordingly separated for the purpose into two divisions the appearance of the dragoon regiment in which leonard mitchell served attracted general notice not only on account of the reputation it had acquired of containing some of the finest men in the british army but likewise in consequence of its discipline and its perfection in the evolutions already practised but had some searching eye scanned each individual countenance there was one in that regiment which would have riveted the gaze for though strikingly handsome there was then upon that countenance an expression of fiend-like satisfaction and sardonic triumph and the portentous gaze the curling lip and the dilation of the nostrils on the part of the dragoon thus alluded to would have convinced the observer that the man's thoughts were intent on some sinister design and now the sham fight commences and there is advancing and retreating by turns and there are echelons and deployings and other evolutions until a general attack commences on the side of the assailing party the dragoons are armed with their carbines and leonard mitchell grasps his weapon with an ardour and affection a species of gratitude as if it were about to render him some signal service the order is given to fire and the carbines vomit forth volumes of white vapory smoke which in a moment envelops the entire corps. but from the midst of the cloud a piercing scream a scream of mortal agony breaks forth and then as the smoke moves slowly away on the lazy wing of the partial breeze ejaculations of horror and dismay announce that some accident has occurred all is now confusion but a report spreads through the dragoon regiment and thence circulates like wildfire amidst the troops and the spectators that lord Satinet has been wounded in the sham fight and true enough was the rumour for there lay the young nobleman fallen from his horse and stretched bleeding and gasping on the green sward the surgeon hastily proceeded to render all the assistance that human skill could administer but the aid was vain and useless the victim was mortally wounded by a bullet which had entered his back and without uttering an intelligible word he shortly expired in the surgeon's arms and now a sad and heart-rending scene took place for the parents and the sisters of the murdered nobleman were upon the ground and they hastened to the spot guided by the common rumour which had appalled them but which they hoped to find incorrect or at all events fearfully exaggerated they discovered however that it was alas too true and the gala day was turned into one of bitter mourning for them the review was broken up and the troops were marched away to their respective barracks while the spectators crowded to behold the sad procession that bore the corpse of the young noble to the family mansion in the neighborhood during the return of the dragoon regiment to its quarters those of leonard's comrades who were near him frequently bent suspicious and inquiring glances upon him but his countenance afforded no indication of guilt he neither appeared triumphant nor downcast neither nervous nor afraid and the soldiers who thus beheld his calm and tranquil demeanor were shaken in the idea which they had formed in respect to the authorship of the morning's tragedy The moment the dragoons entered the barracks every cartouche-box was examined but in none was found aught save blank cartridges the suspicions of the officers had naturally fallen upon leonard mitchell and it was deemed necessary to place him under arrest until the coroner should have instituted the usual inquiry but he energetically declared his innocence and those who were the most ready to suspect him were staggered by the sincerity which seemed to characterize his protestations and by the indignation which he manifested at the crime imputed to him on the ensuing day the inquest was held and the result was favorable to mitchell no particle of evidence appeared to tell against him unless indeed it were the fact that he had been flogged a year previously through the instrumentality of the deceased nobleman but none of leonard's comrades who were examined could aver that they had ever heard him use a threatening expression in respect to lord Satinet. no not even in his cups when the truth is so likely to slip from a man's lips and the real state of his feelings to be proclaimed by the tongue that the nobleman's death was the result of an accident was an alternative that could scarcely be adopted for it was almost impossible that a ball cartridge could have been mistaken for a blank one thus though not a tittle of testimony could be brought against leonard mitchell and though he was discharged from custody yet in the minds of all the officers and of many of his comrades there still dwelt a suspicion with regard to him an open verdict was returned by the jury to the effect that the deceased had met his death by a ball discharged from a carbine but whether by accident or guilty intent and by what hand was unknown a few days afterwards the remains of the young nobleman were consigned to the tomb and the tory newspapers in passing an eulogium upon his character grouped together such a variety of admirable qualities that if he had only possessed one-tenth of them he must have been a phoenix of moral perfection and a prodigy of intellectual power The first meeting which took place between Leonard Mitchell and Ellen after the tragedy just related was of a painful description. Scarcely were they alone together, in the apartment which she had hired for these guilty interviews, when seizing him violently by the wrist and speaking in a low, thick tone, while her eyes looked fixedly and searchingly into the depths of his own. She said, Leonard, is it possible that you have done this? I told you that I would have vengeance he replied almost brutally as he abruptly withdrew his arm from her grasp and you have even encouraged me in the project do you mean to reproach me now oh my god it seems so horrible to contemplate cried ellen sinking into a chair and pressing her hands to her throbbing brows for criminal almost depraved though she were yet she was not so hardened as to be able to stifle the still small voice which whispered in her ears thou art the companion of a murderer horrible to contemplate repeated leonard with a brutal laugh you are a fool to talk in that style ellen but perhaps you will go and betray me next good heavens how have i merited such treatment as this exclaimed the wretched woman now bursting into a flood of tears have i not sacrificed everything for you leonard she demanded her voice broken with agonizing sobs and can you find it in your heart to insult me thus oh consider my position and have mercy upon me tormented day and night by the suspicions and the increasing ill-humour of a husband whom i loathe and abhor with the greatest difficulty avoiding the snares which he sets to entrap me and to acquire proof of that infidelity which he even more than suspects and subjected latterly to the questions and remonstrances of my father who has at length obtained a knowledge of my frequent and unaccounted for absences from home think you not that i am sufficiently unhappy perplexed and bewildered without receiving insult and injury from you then why do you provoke me demanded leonard for a year past i have been constantly telling you that i would have vengeance and as i said just now you have encouraged me in the idea but now that it is consummated and that my mortal enemy sleeps in a premature grave you affect horror and disgust oh leonard ejaculated ellen throwing herself at his feet pardon me and i will offend you no more i am well aware that the provocation was immense and that there are circumstances in which human forbearance knows no limit can acknowledge no restraint such was your position and i was wrong to utter a word deprecatory of your conduct well well said leonard raising the infatuated woman from her suppliant posture and placing her on the sofa by his side let us talk no more of this little quarrel between us for you must be aware that i should have been worse than the spaniel which licks the hand that beats it if i had not avenged myself on that miscreant lordling whom my hatred accompanies even in his grave and let me tell you that in times of war many and many an officer is picked off by some soldier who has felt the iron hand of despotism press upon him or who has suffered from the effects of individual persecution it may be called murder if you choose but i look upon it as a righteous retribution ellen gazed in mingled astonishment and horror and with a ghastly pallor of countenance upon her lover's face as he enunciated this dreadful doctrine then perceiving that he was again about to become angry she hastened to caress him he returned the amorous dalliance but ellen could no longer abandon herself wholly and entirely to the delights of illicit love though the course of life which she had for some time adopted had rendered her insatiably sensual she now experienced a feeling of loathing and disgust when in contact with her lover this feeling she strove hard to conquer by conjuring up all the voluptuous ideas that had ever existed in her soul but in spite of this straining against nature a voice of blood seemed to ring in her ears warning her that she was in the arms of a murderer she gazed upon his handsome countenance in the hope that its beauty would inspire her with sentiments of a purer affection but his eyes appeared to beam with fiendish triumph and demoniac malignity and if she pressed his hand to her lips it seemed as if she were kissing flesh stained with human gore unable to endure these torturing feelings she hastened to prepare the supper-table and bade him draw the cork of a champagne bottle full readily did he comply and having tossed off a bumper first he refilled the same glass saying now drink from this to convince me that you do not love me less on account of what has happened the lady took the glass and placed it to her lips but the words he had just uttered recalled so vividly to her mind those images which she had striven so forcibly to banish from her imagination that an invincible feeling of disgust came over her a blood mist appeared to obscure her sight and as she drank it seemed as if a draught from a sanguine tide were pouring down her throat nevertheless she forced herself to drain the glass and as soon as the exciting liquor began to circulate in her veins these horrible images rapidly disappeared and she felt that she could now abandon herself to a voluptuousness of soul unmarred by disgust or loathing ellen therefore as well as leonard discovered that there were charms in the crystal cup filled with sparkling wine and she drank the exciting juice with the avidity of one who knows full well its efficacy in banishing care leonard was both surprised and rejoiced to behold the influence which the nectar had upon her and for a long time he had not appeared so tender and affectionate as he was during the latter part of this interview and what was the consequence of that evening's incidents that ellen took a liking to alcoholic liquor she had discovered therein a panacea for disagreeable thoughts and her reflections in serious moments were by no means of a pleasurable nature thus was it that she who was lately so abstemious as scarcely to touch a drop of wine even after dinner and who had so deeply deplored the weakness of leonard in yielding to the insidious temptations of strong drink thus was it that she the elegant and lovely ellen gave way to that same fascination and sought solace in the sparkling glass at first she touched no wine until the dinner-hour but she soon found that all the morning and afternoon she was a prey to low spirits distressing reflections and feelings of mingled loathing and fondness in respect to leonard and she therefore made the midday luncheon an excuse for taking her first glass at dinner-time she would freely partake of her two or three glasses and on those evenings when she met leonard she indulged readily in the liquor provided for the supper-table but as the habit rapidly gained upon the unfortunate young woman she soon began to tipple slyly at home and even before breakfast she eventually found herself compelled by great mental depression to imbibe a dram it was about this time that mr gamble's intellects racked and tortured for upwards of a year by the most harrowing suspicions and by the total estrangement of his wife's affections and even attentions began to give way and he would sit for hours together in his chair with his eyes fixed upon vacancy it was also at the same epoch that a turn once more manifested itself in mr pomfret's affairs and a colossal speculation failing he was again plunged into deep embarrassments further assistance from his son-in-law was out of the question and mr pomfret accordingly devoted all his energies to sustain the credit of his house in the hope that he might yet retrieve himself or in any case postpone the catastrophe for as long a period as possible thus the condition of her husband and the constant application of her father to his business left ellen almost totally free from any supervision and she was enabled to indulge at will in the fatal habit that was gaining so rapidly upon her leonard did not fail to notice this growing attachment to liquor on her part and he rather encouraged it than otherwise for he himself had become utterly depraved and reckless and when his mistress was in a maudlin condition of semi-ebriety she cheerfully parted with all the contents of her purse the increasing childishness of her husband gave her a greater command over his finances and she was therefore the better able to supply her lover's extravagances at length she acquired the certainty that leonard was unfaithful to her and a desperate quarrel was the consequence nor was the dispute confined to mere words for the young man beat her unmercifully and she half intoxicated at the time retaliated to the best of her ability the scene was shocking and disgusting and when ellen awoke next morning and reflected upon all that had occurred on the preceding evening she wept bitter bitter tears as she compared the guilty present with the innocent past then she vowed to abstain from liquor in future and to see leonard mitchell no more and temporarily strong in this resolution she sent him a note communicating her design moreover under the influence of the better feelings that were thus awakening within her soul her heart smote her for her conduct towards her husband who was daily becoming more dependent upon her kindness and whom she had long neglected altogether she even felt happy when she pondered upon her newly formed determination to resume a steady course of life but all her salutary schemes and hopes were annihilated in the afternoon of that same day by the arrival of a letter from mitchell threatening to murder her and kill himself afterwards unless she repaired in the evening to the usual place of meeting over that letter ellen wept scalding tears for she knew that if she yielded now her fate was sealed ruin degradation and disgrace must inevitably await her she saw herself again entering upon the path which would lead her to the condition of a confirmed drunkard and the awful menaces contained in the missive filled her with presentiments that even her death might be premature and violent nevertheless she had not the moral courage to resist the temptation of meeting her lover and she consoled herself or rather she endeavoured to quiet her qualms of conscience and her presaging fears by saying it shall be for the last time to the place of appointment she accordingly went and leonard mitchell who feared to lose a mistress possessed of such ample means to minister to his extravagances played the hypocrite so admirably that ellen infatuated creature that she was believed in the sincerity of his protestations of undivided love for the future and his regrets for the past the wine-bottle circulated freely and she forgot all her remorse all her compunctions all her resolves of reformation she even went so far as to revive the proposal of purchasing leonard's discharge but to this he positively refused to accede he quoted his oath as a reason it was not however the correct one for even that solemn vow had long ceased to have any influence upon his depraved and hardened mind the truth was that he had become a confirmed voluptuary in respect to women and he found that his uniform was an immense auxiliary towards success with the frivolous and giddy of the sex moreover he knew that were he released from the ranks he should become completely tacked to the apron-strings of his mistress and as she held the purse he would not in that case be able to exercise his independence it therefore suited him better to remain in the army and ellen was foolish infatuated enough to believe in the validity and genuineness of the motive which he alleged for declining her proposal she accordingly forbore from pressing it and the remainder of that evening was spent in voluptuous enjoyment sensuality and champagne constituting the elements of that guilty pair's unhallowed pleasures time passed on and the position of the lovers if such they could now be called became daily more unhappy in respect to each other quarrels between them were of constant occurrence and on each occasion blows were exchanged the affection of ellen had changed into a gross sensuality having lost every particle of refining sentiment and she became jealous in the extreme frequently giving way to such fits of passion when she reproached leonard for his infidelities that it was impossible to recognize in the furious rabid half-drunken demoness the mild amiable and chaste young lady of former years she still retained her beauty to a marvellous degree in spite of the deep potations in which she indulged and the slovenliness that had crept in upon her in respect to dress and as she was frequently out in the streets late of an evening after her interviews with leonard she was subjected to the licentious proposals of the young men about town who are ever on the lookout for pretty women the result was that although she yielded not to such temptations her mind became more thoroughly depraved by being robbed of every chastening thought and feminine reflection for when under the influence of liquor she would frequently converse with the rakes who accosted her in the manner described leonard himself suddenly grew jealous and having followed her one evening he caught her in discourse with a young gentleman whom she had encountered more than once during her walks home a dreadful scene ensued and though leonard at length suffered himself to be appeased simply because afraid of losing one whose purse was so convenient to him he nevertheless entertained a firm but erroneous conviction of her infidelity they therefore now harboured mutual distrust which on many occasions rose into absolute loathing bad as leonard was as much as he had encouraged her in her drinking habits he was nevertheless often disgusted when he beheld her reeling under the influence of liquor and when he felt upon his face that breath which now heated with alcoholic fluid was once so pure and balmy on her side she could never divest herself of the remembrance that she was consorting with a murderer and frequently oh how frequently the blood mist would reappear before her eyes and the liquor would seem gore in her glass and sanguine stains would in her heated imagination dye his hands thus wretchedly did their connection progress she still clinging to him through that infatuation which often belongs to sensuality of soul and he still tolerating her because she possessed the means of supplying his pocket at length matters had reached crisis at which the amour was destined to have a most tragical termination ellen was returning home one evening smarting under some insult which her lover had put upon her and labouring as usual under the influence of wine when she met the young gentleman above alluded to on this occasion his entreaties were more urgent than ever and she was more pliant than he had as yet found her to be her blood was inflamed and she was moreover in that humour when to assert her independence of leonard even to herself would prove a solace and a comfort she accordingly yielded to the proposals of the stranger and accompanied him to an improper house it was midnight when they issued forth and ellen hastened homeward having made an appointment for another evening in the middle of waterloo bridge she heard hasty steps approaching from behind it was a clear moonlit night and on turning her head she beheld leonard mitchell close at hand a faintness came over her she instantly suspected nay felt certain that he had watched her and trembling with terrible apprehension she sank upon a seat in one of the recesses in another moment the young dragoon was by her side for almost a minute he spoke not and this silence augmented her alarm raising her pale her haggard countenance on which the moonlight streamed in all its chaste and silvery purity she endeavoured to frame some question that would lead to an explanation of his presence there but her lips refused utterance to the words that rose to them a mortal terror was upon her a consternation as if she beheld the skeleton form of death hovering dimly in the obscure distance end of section seventy two